0: here at the Jeff Allen thing on Friday night, the outreach we had. So a lot of you. And uh, boy, I tell you what, he was so funny and, uh, and just did a, a fantastic job of uh, sharing his testimony. He's a Christian comedian who became a Christian probably only about a decade ago and, uh, and just did a, a great job of sharing his life story and, and making us laugh in the process. And uh, the reason I tell you all that is I got absolutely no jokes in my sermon this morning. So I hope you got it out of you on Friday night. And uh, and uh but you laughed at that one so why don't we bow right now and let's pray we're going to dive right in father god um that song was moving to my soul to to realize that your grace is not only amazing but it it does pour down like rain upon us and last week lord we unpacked what it was like to receive your grace and today we want to explore what it is like to live in it and so god with that concept of of rain pouring down on us which is a great image of your grace uh, teach us, Lord, how to receive that as well as now how to live in it. God, if I don't miss my guess, there's not one person here this morning in our worship center that doesn't long <clears throat> in some way to know more about your grace, your goodness to us. <clears throat> so I pray, God, that as we unpack this this morning using your word, that you might speak to our hearts and our minds. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So I said as I, as I was praying there that last week I broke stride. Uh, in the way I usually do messages, and I told you an intricate story of one person's journey into grace. And if you remember, it was a true story concerning a man from a church that I pastored in London, Ontario about 12 years ago. And though I changed the names and a couple of the circumstances in order to keep confidentiality uh, and I'd asked permission to share the story, it was nevertheless a true story and a powerful story of one person's journey toward getting right with God. And that was the whole point of the story, folks, to show you how God's grace helps us to get right with him. To use the biblical word, it's the word justified. that God's grace justifies us when received by faith in Jesus Christ. And so by way of review, real quickly for last week, here's what we looked at. Romans 3 verse 28 says this, it says, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And that was the point of Pat's story last week, to show you how through grace that Jesus Christ brought us through his life and his death and his resurrection, we now have an opportunity to know him, each and every one of us, and experience what the Bible calls salvation by grace. And we ended last week noting that the vehicle, the pathway to receiving God's grace is nothing more and nothing less than faith. Faith in Jesus Christ and His work of grace on the cross. And so salvation, we know that it is not by works, it's not by morality, it's not by good deeds, as good and fine as all of that is, but by faith and faith alone, that's what unleashes God's grace in our lives, the grace that makes us right with Him. As Mark Twain said so humorously years ago, and I quote, Heaven goes by grace, if it went by merit, you would stay out and your dog would go in and I think he's right. I told you I didn't have any humor, I lied. I I, I think he's right. The reality is, is that when you think about it, all of us are not quite as good as we think we are, at least when people really find out what goes on in our hearts and our minds. And so none of us are going to get into heaven on our good works. It's by grace and what Christ has done for us. That's what the Bible makes very clear. Now, that's only the beginning, however. The story we told last week in the Scriptures is simply the start of you and me getting right with God. There's obviously much more to walking with God this side of heaven. And to talk about this this morning and to continue in our discovery of what God's grace is all about, I want to tell you a second story today. And it's likewise a true story, again, with the names changed to protect those involved. And it's a story not about how to receive grace, but once you receive it, how to live in it. How do you actually live each day in the grace that God has given us? And it's called Mark's story. And what you need to know first of all, folks, is that Mark has a very different story than Pat, who we talked about last week. Pat, who didn't grow up in a Christian home at all, is very different than Mark, who grew up in a loving, Christ-centered home. As a kid he went to church every Sunday, and though it was somewhat of a legalistic church complete with its own list of rules to live by, it was nonetheless a very loving and free or faith-oriented church. And Mark's parents were actually non-legalistic and rather free themselves, so his home was kind of sheltered from legalism. And through most of his childhood and adolescent years, Mark remembers having a strong love for God and a desire to be used by God to build his kingdom. He eventually married Sarah, had kids, became a successful businessman with his own business, and got involved in the same church that he was raised in. Now i got to let you know at this point, folks, that Mark has always been a very calculated and controlled man. I tease some of you of being high-control individuals every now and then, you know, from the pulpit, because I'm a high-control guy myself. Mark is clearly a high-control kind of guy being administratively inclined, responsibility, and discipline were things that came very natural to him. And some of you can relate to that. And this is what allowed him to be successful in his job and eventually to hold various leadership positions in his church. And when it came to his walk with God, like so many of us, Mark used his natural strength to pour himself into it. You're going to want to dial into that. He used his natural strength to to build up his walk with God. He memorized scores of Bible passages, became a great student of the Word, served regularly at church, attended most church functions, and even developed strong, well-thought-out opinions on theological subjects. And so for most of his early adult life, his discipline factor was riding very high. He was known by those around him as a strong soldier for Christ, maybe a colonel or even a general, and he was tough-minded, strong, if not kind of opinionated at times, and not easily swayed. He even eventually became an elder in his church at a relatively young age, having proven himself theologically and morally and relationally mature beyond his years. You get the picture. But then something happened that would throw Mark into the confusing tunnel of chaos and threaten to undo everything that he had built. In his business, there was an employee that he knew had eyes for him. Most men can tell, especially when it's obvious And in this case, it was obvious. And going against the grain of everything that he had been taught, Mark began to flirt with temptation literally, and he got too close. And something that he thought would never happen to him happened, he had an affair. And not just a single encounter, but a month at a time, multiple encounter affair with a woman from the shop. Now you need to know, folks, that Mark was devastated. Paul the Apostle had written some 20 plus years into his close walk with God these words from Romans chapter 7. He said, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do for what I want to do. I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Mark Romans 7, verses 14 to 15. And Mark had read this passage before. He'd read the New Testament multiple times. And he just assumed, however, that this reality wasn't going to be for him. That with all the things that he had under his belt and the maturity that he had developed over the years, that, that this that thing would never happen to him. And so in doing the right thing, he confessed his sin to his wife. And together they went to see their pastor. And after much discussion, many tears, and the gracious forgiveness of his wife, Mark was ready to try to rebuild things on a spiritual and relational level. And so over the next year or so, picture this guy building up his reserves once again. More scripture memory, more Bible study, more disciplined resolve to be the strong Christian that he knew God wanted him to be. And it seemed to be working. Slowly, over time, the strength was coming back and it looking like things were going to become the way that they were. And then it happened again. And some of you are saying, no, there's no way that it could happen again. But it did. Not to the extent of the first one, thankfully, but temptation again came again, this time in the form of a different woman. Contact was made and once again, Mark fell. And catching himself much quicker this time, not allowing it to get to an affair level, Mark once again confesses to his wife and his pastor. But as you can imagine, now this was on a whole different level, one that would take decades to heal with his wife. And Mark was absolutely shattered and disillusioned with himself. And what you need to know, folks, before you judge too quickly here, is that inside of him, There was this terrible storm of questioning and confusion going on. It went something like this. He thought, what is wrong with me? I mean, I'm not a sexual addict or anything like that. I don't have obsessive thoughts about sex. I'm not addicted to pornography or anything like that. Again, a very disciplined person. But he thought twice in a matter of years. This is crazy. I love my wife. I love my family more than anything else. I love God and His Word. What is going on? And this started a road for him of discovery when it came to this thing that we're talking about in this series called grace of some things that he had never realized up to that point in his life. You see, Mark was a broken man, shattered by his sin, very disillusioned with his life up to that point. And it was in this brokenness that God met him with grace and truth. Grace through an embrace of forgiveness and truth with a lesson about grace that Mark had forgotten over the years. And many of you who are dialed in right now are saying, what is that lesson? I want to share it with you this morning. And before I even give you the point, I want to share with you the Scripture that became a really good friend to Mark from this point in his life. It's one that he and I have talked about on a regular basis. The Scripture is Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. I'm going to put it up here on the screen right now. And I want you to just read along with me. Just read along quietly and see if you can pick up on what Paul the Apostle is saying to this erring church. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now here it is. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? In other words, folks, what Mark had yet to learn is exactly what Paul the Apostle is chiding this erring church about. You see, they had started off on the right foot. They had received grace as a gift from God. Faith in the risen, crucified Lord had given them a true relationship with the Almighty God. And yet somewhere along the way, These Christians had forgotten about grace and had simply fallen back on their own fleshly human reserves and were now trying to live the Christian life on their own. And Paul here is literally challenging them, pleading with them to live in grace. A theme as we're going to see appears all the time in the New Testament. The same grace that saved them, he is saying, is the same grace now that is their only hope For learning how to live the christian life in a victorious and consistent way now before we go any further and unpacking mark's basic problem here i want you to notice to me three important things going on in this passage that we need to pause and park in front of if we're ever going to get how to live in grace first thing is is that notice that paul is addressing his audience as saved christians who have already received god's grace through jesus christ This is really important for you to see. If you miss this, you will misunderstand the entire purpose of Galatians chapter 3, 4, and 5. These are saved people he is writing to. He tells them they had witnessed or knew about the crucifixion of Jesus. He implies there in verse 2 that they had received Christ by faith apart from works of the law. And so they understood the gospel. They had received Jesus. And Paul will even go on in verse 3 to say, you guys have begun in the Spirit, which heavily implies that they are saved and on the way Christians. Notch that away. And then notice secondly, however, that these same saved believers had become foolish and deceived. Paul says there in verse 1, foolish Galatians, he'll call them the same thing in verse 3, and he even lets them know that they have been bewitched. You see that word there, bewitched? i got to tell you, this is strong language for a pastor to use. If you and I had a cup of coffee this week and I asked you about your spiritual life and you shared it with me and I said, guess what? You're foolish and bewitched, you'd probably perk up at that moment and say that's pretty strong language for Jamie to use with me. That word foolish there literally means stupid. That word "bewitch" there carries with it a sense of coming under a, hy- a hypnotic, hypnotic type of spell, an evil spell, witchcraft, not of a godly origin. And so I like how one commentator comments on this in kind of a mild way, but this at the very least is what Paul is saying. He says at the very least there is a mistaken use, a mistaken use of mental power or a deficiency of understanding itself in this Galatian church. Simply put, these believers had gotten seriously off track when it came to grace. They were ignorant of something and even deceived. And that brings us to the third thing that I need you to see going on here that will be key to Mark's story. And that is that what these Christians were deceived about is that they had begun their journey by grace and were now trying to continue in their own strength. I'm telling you, folks, if you don't hear anything else today, please hear this. These guys had begun their journey right. They were sitting in pews every Sunday, not really, but symbolically so. They were doing just great. They were walking with God as best they could. But suddenly, they had slipped into this mindset of continuing on in their own strength. And this is exactly what Paul means in verse 3 when he asks them, if having begun in the Spirit, i.e., grace through faith in Jesus Christ... They're now trying to be perfected. In other words, grow in their walk with Christ by the flesh. What the New International Version translates human effort. You see, folks, the Bible makes a huge distinction for the believer between what it calls the flesh and the spirit. I need to try to explain this to you this morning, but it's key to this idea of living in grace. Galatians chapter 3, 4, and 5 will go on and many other parts of the Bible to distinguish for the believer between what it calls the flesh and the spirit. In fact, by the time you get to Galatians 5, it's discussing at great length this idea that we can either choose to live the Christian life in the power of our own human effort and strength or tap into something much deeper inside of us, i.e. the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, and learn to live by His strength, His power, in daily submission and dependence upon Him in such a way that it will truly give us strength to live the Christian life victoriously as God wants us to. In fact, by the time you get to Galatians 5, it's actually making it clear that it's possible, though not normative, for a believer to begin his or her, her own journey of grace on a grace note, only then to try to sing the rest of the song in his or her own strength. And Paul will go on to say it this way. In chapter 5, verse 25, look up here on the screen. He says, If we live by the Spirit, in other words, are saved and indwelt by God's Spirit through grace, let us also walk by the Spirit. If you live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. In other words, continue your journey on, walk with God in this same vein of grace That has saved you. And so the logic is simple. If it's grace that has saved you, then it's the same grace, duh, that's gonna allow you to continue on in the Christian life. Don't miss this, folks. The Bible says this it's either your own human effort, the flesh, or God's Spirit who lives in you that's gonna carry you and empower you in your life as a follower of Christ. One or the other, the Bible says. And though human effort might carry you for a while, like it did my friend Mark, even as a follower of Christ, it's eventually going to fail you. And so the Bible pleads with us to live in and by the Spirit, to live in and by grace. And so our main point this morning, you're now ready for. It's what the great hymn writer, John Newton, reminded us of some 200 years ago in his famous hymn, Amazing Grace. Look up here on the screen, and it's this. "'Tis grace that has brought me safe this far." and it's grace that's going to lead me home in fact i don't do this very often but say that with me right now would you it is grace that has brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home man i hope you believe that for you today i hope that's not just a song that you sing or some words on paper or on a powerpoint for you but that you truly believe That it's God's grace that has not only saved you, but even His grace that is now going to bring you home. You see, folks, Mark had forgotten this. Like so many Christians, he had started off right, using the car keys of grace, and yet he had failed to realize that grace is also the gasoline, the oil, the windshield wiper fluid, the engine, the brakes, that grace is everything else that you need in order to drive the car. And what you need to know is that this idea of grace being the foundational character trait of God that taps us into him as being that which we need to live the Christian life from is all over the New Testament. I mean, it's everywhere. Uh, Let me show you a couple of scriptures. This will blow your mind. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Paul is talking to his young disciple Timothy. He's trying to help him learn how to walk with God and serve as a leader in the church. And this is what he says 2 Timothy 2 1 You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in christ jesus interesting phraseology be strong in the grace again most of us think this grace is something that god just gives us and it's wonderful and we receive it and then somehow go on our way and paul's suggesting here that you need to be strong in that grace that god has already given you at the point of salvation And I would simply ask you that if Paul is saying it's possible to be strong in grace, then don't you think it's possible to be the opposite as well, right? You can be weak in God's grace. Live more by your flesh, your own human effort, than by the Spirit of God who lives in you. This is everywhere. Look at 2 Corinthians 6, verse 1. He's saying something similar. He's writing to a a sin-filled, flesh-focused church in Corinth, and he says this. He says, working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. I love that passage don't receive the grace of God in vain the same grace that he's given you at the moment of salvation man don't just sit there with it don't just say isn't it neat that God saved me that's just so wonderful I think I'll go and live my life on my own now he's saying don't do that that's going to take it in vain you're not going to get any mileage out of his grace if that's the way that you live If you see his grace as simply a salvific entity that makes you right with God, you're not going to get where God wants you to. You need to treat it as a daily occurrence. What John Piper calls future grace. The fact that at each moment of each day, God has some future grace reserved for you that you need to tap into so that you might learn to live in his grace. That's what Paul is saying here. Now, some of you, they're thinking at this point, okay, Jamie, I get it. You're yelling flesh versus spirit. Be strong in God's grace. Don't receive His grace in vain. I get it. You're excited about this. This is a good thing. I understand what you're saying. But a lot easier said than done. Amen? A lot easier said than done. Up to this point, this is an easy sermon to preach. Just, just don't just receive God's grace, but live in it. The question becomes how? How do we actually on a daily level learn to live in His grace in such a way that we avoid the journey of my friend Mark. Because though that's a very stark example, let's just be honest with ourselves, all of us could tell Mark's story in other more subtle ways. Amen? All of us could tell stories of how we begun in grace, only to then fall into the Galatian controversy here and learn to live in our flesh, and our flesh lets us down, and we go, "Uh uh-oh. All of us could tell a story like that. Maybe not as serious as Mark's. Thankfully, maybe it is for you. But we've all been at that point. So, So how do you live in grace? As I attempt to answer this, I want to first begin by sharing you how not to live in grace. I want to share with you very clearly what living in grace is not. Because again, I just think so many Christians have fallen into this. Here's what living in grace is not. It's not waking up each day, thanking God for saving you by grace, and then going on and doing your best to be a good Christian. That's what it's not. And some of you right now are going, you kidding me. I mean, that's the way I live. I'm telling you, that's not how you live in grace. You don't wake up like the average Christian does and say, thank you, God, for saving me. My life is yours. And then go off on your day and try your best to be a good Christian. Think about those words. I'm going to try my best to be a good Christian. As if it all depends on you. Or even how some some Christians say that maybe you and God are doing some sort of little neat partnership That he saved you and he's going to help you. You ever use that word, help you? And and somehow you've got to put in your two cents, he's going to put in his two cents, and, and maybe you'll get four cents out of it, of grace. Dallas Willard calls that sin management. He basically says what that is, is you basically saying to God, okay, you've saved me from my sin, I'm not going to hell, and now I'm going to do my best to manage my sin, and I just hope you help me along the way, God. Sin management. That's not going to get you very far. Larry Crabb calls it good enough Christianity. The fact that you're just simply looking at the person next to you in the pew or your neighbor and saying, At least I'm marginally better than them, doing just a little bit better than them, then that's good enough and God's gotta have mercy on that thing, right? And that's how many of us think. And I'm telling you, that's not how we walk in grace. Though that's very American, very Western, that is not what it's about. Let me share with you a few thoughts on how to live in grace that might help three things and these aren't your notes but you can write them down and put them up here on the screen three things that you can do that might help you walk more fully in his grace first is admit each and every moment of each and every day that you are still a frail fragile sinner in need of daily grace I i gotta tell you i looked at that phrase just last night when i was going through my message and i thought jamie isn't there a much more politically correct word you can use than sinner that's just such a biting term isn't it i mean for those who've been around the church block a thousand times you've gotten used to it by now but for anybody who's newer to the church like i was 30 years ago you go gosh sinner i mean couldn't you say like maybe a mistake-ridden person or something like that i mean you know sinners are sort of a harsh term and i thought about that and i looked at last night i thought well there's two problems with changing that word one it's the word the bible uses like duh so we dare not change it but even more not more importantly but equally importantly it's a robust term full of wonderful theological insight that you don't want to miss when it comes to grace. Because, you see, many Christians struggle with this first step. Here's how many Christians tend to think. We tend to think that our coming to Christ and our veteran status as a believer now, due to years of quiet times and Bible studies and prayer meetings and worship services and service projects, has somehow gotten us to a status level of not all that much of a sinner anymore or at least even not as sinful as we used to be and though that might be true on a behavioral level you want to be very 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 careful with that theology because as soon as you start to think that maybe you've arrived as soon as you start to think that maybe you've cleaned up your life to the point that you're not going to struggle with anything anymore you are Nat's eyelash away from falling into grievous sin you are Because the reality is is that the Bible comes along, God comes along and says it's just not true. The same propensity to sin and to struggle that you had the moment you were saved is going to plague you for the rest of your life. It's going to be an ongoing battle. The flesh versus the spirit. Read about it in the Bible. And so this struggle that you have with a frail, fragile, fallen heart and mind is still inside of you. It's just that now the spirit of God lives inside of you as we'll see in a minute. And there's now a war going on every day. Every day. There's a battle vying for your soul between the flesh and the spirit. As we're gonna see, you're gonna die to one and live to the other. But if you try to somehow admit that you're not capable or that you're not a sinner and capable of sinner being a sinner anymore, you got it all wrong. You see, even the most godly and righteous men in the Bible never believe that about themselves. If you don't believe me, think of one of the most godly men in all the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. And look at how he describes his current life. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 15, his current life after being a Christian and a leader in the church, years into it, he says this, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, now here it is, of whom I am the foremost. You know one of the main problems of that passage is that it's in the present tense. That's what most commentators point out. It's in the present tense. He could have said that Christ came to save sinners of whom I used to be a really bad one. You know, before I got saved 20 years ago, I did all these nasty things, and then God saved me, and now, you know what, I've got to tell you, I've licked all those things. I mean, you know, and I don't even struggle with those things anymore, and I just don't think I'm really plagued with many temptations anymore, and I hope you can become like me someday. You know, that could be what Paul is saying. The only problem is he's not saying any of that. He's saying the same thing he says in Romans 7. He's using a present tense to say that even after 30, 40 years of being a Christian, Man, I, I still realize how evil my heart is. I, I still realize that there but for the grace of God go I. I. I still realize that on a daily level, now here's the point, that I need grace. See, if you forget you're a sinner, then you're going to forget you need grace. And if you forget you need grace, you're never going to live in it. And so the logic is, you've got to remember your need for grace. You've got to remember how much of a sinner you still are, or you're never going to be primed to live in His grace. Some of you are saying, well, you, you know, it's just hard for me to see that on a daily level. I'd ask you to do this. Ask your spouse about that. <laughs> I, I mean that sincerely. I, I, I find that, that, especially men, we tend to deceive ourselves because we live in a marketplace environment where we think we're doing really well and we read our own press releases and, you know, we're, we're successful and all that other stuff. And, 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 and all of a sudden, and, and I sit there and go, you know what? Just ask your spouse. Maybe ask your teenage kids, you know. Just ask them. You know, I dare you to ask them sometimes, you know, do do you think I still have some traits in me that might expose my sinful character? I dare you to ask them that. Because if they're at all honest with you, they're going to say, well, duh. I mean, dare I share them with you? And the reality is you can be brought down to size just by looking over at your spouse or your kids or maybe a good friend, somebody that will be honest with you if you're struggling with that at all. First thing you need to do is admit that you still need grace. Second thing you might want to consider uh, is to deny yourself and learn to recognize and resist living in the power of your flesh. Now we're starting to get some traction. And I know this is hard to hear, but this is really serious stuff. If it is true, folks, think about this logic, that there's a battle between the flesh and the Spirit going on in you and me as followers of Jesus, then the second step after just admitting that you're in that battle is to realize that you need to deny yourself and even recognize and resist the power of your flesh in other words here's what's going to happen if you admit your need for help and grace your greatest temptation from this point on will then be to take the bull by the horns muster up your reserves dig your heels in and do all you can to live right and defeat sin in your own strength and that's exactly what my friend mark did is it after he fell the first time he said oh my gosh i need god and so he he repented he confessed he received forgiveness and and then moving on from there he said now i am never going to do this again you ever found yourself saying something like that I am never, I'm never going to eat a box of Cheez-Its again. I am never going to do this again. And the reality is what happens? You end up doing it again. If that doesn't reveal the falseness of our theology, I don't know what does. Many people say the flesh is strong. It can do a lot of things. And it's true. There are lots of non-Christians that leave disciplined lifestyles. But you look close. Every one of them have an Achilles heel. Every one of them have something that eventually exposes the weakness of our flesh. And Christians have the same battle. It's just that now we've got the Spirit inside of us, as we're going to see, that can give us victory. But if you don't kill that flesh, if you don't recognize it for what it is, that you're never going to have victory over the things that plague you. It's just true. Look at how Jesus taught us this. Look at cha- Luke chapter 9, verse 23. It says that if Jesus said, "If anyone would come after me," here it is: "Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me." Whoa! Deny himself, take up his cross. Anybody know what the cross symbolizes? There, death. I mean, it was a sign of death. Somebody first ever said life. Said, nah, opposite actually. Death. The cross symbolizes death in the first century. There. So Jesus is saying to t- deny yourself, die to yourself. And follow me. I love how Larry Crabb spells this out in his book Connecting. He points out that, that for years of, it's 2,000 years of theological inquiry into this, that one of the things people have concluded is that nowhere in the Bible does it say you're trying to tame the flesh, that you're trying to subdue the flesh, that you are try to push it down for a little bit and make sure it doesn't get the upper hand. That nowhere in the Bible does it say that. It always says the same thing kill it, die to it. I mean, get it out of the way. It's too powerful. You can't tame it. You can't subdue it. That's what our friend Mark tried to do. And I'm telling you, it won't work. I've been at this 30 years, and I'm very gifted in the natural stuff. I just am. I mean, I, I, I'm just good at certain things, right? I mean, and, and many of you could say the same thing. You got your sweet spot, and you know in the flesh what you can do. And though I can conform, perform and compete and succeed in this area, I know better. And I know that that's going to mean diddly when it comes to my walk with God. And I know that's not going to carry me in the deeper parts of what I need to accomplish spiritually. I need to die to that. The Puritans had it right when they said it this way, vivify the spirit and mortify the flesh. Stoke and fan in the flame that that spirit who lives in you and then kill the flesh. And then as you're thinking about that thirdly, and I would argue even most importantly, because actually these first two things are really preludes before the main attraction, is that you need to wake up every day then. And make it your day's objective to have an attitude of faith and an attitude of absolute submission to Jesus. Now, get this: as not only Savior, as not only Lord, but your entire life. That's really where we're getting not now. Getting somewhere. That if you really want to learn to live in the Spirit, you are going to admit you are a sinner. You are going to die to yourself, and then in place of that, you are going to submit to Christ each moment of each day as Lord and as a Savior, as Lord, and life. I mean, this is key. G.K. Chesterton had a wonderful way of always putting things like this, and I love how he puts this when it comes to grace. Look up here on the screen. He says, You say grace before meals, all right, but I say grace before the concert and the opera, and grace before the play and pantomime, and grace before I open a book, and grace before sketching, painting, swimming, fencing, boxing, walking, playing, dancing, and grace before I dip the pen in the ink what's he saying there? he's saying the way most christians live is that we say grace has saved me i think i'll thank him for my food i'll thank him for my daily bread yada 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 and then i'm going to go off and live my christian life as best i can in my own strength and what chesterton is saying is no just as you say grace before those few things say grace before everything it's grace that will allow you to fence and box and walk and play and swim and sketch and paint And, and folks it's an interior thing One of the most hard things for me in trying to explain this aspect of the flesh versus the Spirit and faith and grace is that almost always, and nobody did this in the first service because I'm about to scare you away from doing this, but almost always somebody will come up to me after I get done with a sermon like this and say, I'm still unclear on what I'm supposed to do. (laughs) And I want to scream when somebody says that. I'm like, you know, what an American thing to say. What am I supposed to do? Give me three easy steps. None of you are going to do it now, but give me three easy steps. And how I'm supposed to live this out, I don't have three easy steps. Are you getting that? It's an interior life thing that we're talking about here, folks. This is not an outward behavioral thing. You guys got much of that down. You look good. You act fairly good, at least that I know about. But the reality is, is that what God says is, He says the interior things matter most. Jesus said, not what goes into a man that makes him unclean, but what proceeds from his heart. And so we're talking about what's going on in your heart and your mind at any given moment, at any given day. And God says this, you're either relying on the flesh, or you're relying on the Spirit through total submission to me. That's what God says. It's one or the other. You're either relying on yourself and this world and your 401K and your smarts and your success and your family and your friends, or you're relying on me. As C.S. Lewis says, first things first. What's first place status in your soul? What's second place status in your soul? And the problem for most Christians is that we've taken all these good second place things and they become first place in our soul, and God has become marginalized to second-place status. And you know it. And that's the problem with living in grace, is that you can't live in grace until you learn to submit to him each moment of each day. I, I think a great story that helped me with this years ago was found in a Gordon McDonald's book called "Ordering Your Private Worlds," written back in the '80s. Ironically, right after McDonald wrote this book, he, he suffered a huge fall himself. Which, that was ironic. I mean, here he's trying to write about the interior life, but but he still was battling that flesh versus spirit thing. But he's got some great uh, tips in here, if you will, on theology and how to live in grace. And at one point in chapter 11, he talks about uh, the great missionary to India, the United Methodist missionary E. Stanley Jones. And how Jones, all of his life, talked about this idea of submission to Christ and, and fully submitting to Him and faith and, and things of that nature. And then at the end of his life, E. Stanley Jones had a terrible stroke that left him virtually paralyzed for about two years at a time where he could not write, he couldn't do anything, he was just basically immobilized for two years at a time. And at one point somebody asked him and said, well, well how you doing, Stan? I mean, that's a really bummer that, you know, you're kind of paralyzed in the stroke and you haven't died yet or anything like that. And, and he made a very famous statement that I'm going to show you here in a minute, not quite yet, a very very statement about the fact that though all the outer props have been kicked away, that the inner props are holding him up just fine. And as he made that statement, he talks about the fact, however, that not everybody, even many Christian leaders, get or experience that. Listen to what he says. He says, I was talking to a bishop who had retired and he was frustrated. That when he was no longer in the limelight of Christian leadership, he was frustrated and he told me so. He wanted to know the secret of victorious living. I told him it was in self-surrender. The difference was in giving up the innermost self to Jesus. The difference was in the texture of the things that hold us. You see, when the outer strands were broken for this man by retirement, the inner strands were not enough to hold him. Apparently, he had a case of limelight-itis instead of a case of surrender to Jesus. Look up here on the screen. He says, fortunately with me, surrender to Jesus was the primary thing. And when the outer strands were cut by this stroke, my life didn't shake. I need no outer props to hold my faith, for my faith holds me. I want you to personalize this for you today. Say one of your most significant outer props gets kicked out of your life. I hope that doesn't happen to you but say it's your job say it's your spouse say it's your 401k we're just coming out of a recession say it's an area you never thought you would fall in like my friend mark say some outer prop that you've been leaning on gets kicked out of your life my question to you this morning is have you built up the kind of grace reserves of living in faith and absolute submission so that that outer prop got kicked out you could say like e stanley jones that my life didn't shake, that I need no outer props to hold my faith because my faith holds me. I would submit to you that that's living in grace. That's learning the secret to getting to the point where you can live in such a way that as Jesus says, they may kill the body, but they can't touch the soul you notice earlier when i gave you the main point here or the the challenge here i i, I basically said that the, the core to living in grace is to submit to jesus as Do you remember the savior lord and life some of you are thrown by that last word their life because you've heard us say all of this time you need to accept jesus as savior and lord but you're like what's that life thing about that phrase actually came from one of the elders in my last church who once said something very profound to me he's a very godly man and he once said to me he said you know Jamie he came to Christ when he was about 40 and he said you know I spent most of my 40s learning to receive Jesus as Savior and then in my 50s I learned how to make him my Lord he said but it really wasn't until this last decade that I learned that that's still not enough he needs to be my entire life that I need to go from Savior to Lord to life and folks that is eminently Biblical Galatians 2:20 says I have been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me So here's my parting challenge to you this morning and that is simply to allow grace to carry you along the journey allow grace to carry you along the journey don't make the mistake that so many people make who begin in the spirit and then attempt to go the rest of the way by human effort. Don't make the mistake of my friend Mark, who paid a huge price for learning, for failing to learn the difference between receiving grace and living in grace. I'll let you know Mark's story ends on a really positive note. It hasn't ended yet. He's actually still alive, but it has a really positive ending. His wife, who's an amazing, amazing woman, truly an elder's wife, was able to forgive him and was able through a long time to bring a healing to their relationship. And they're still married today, and they're still walking with God. And if Mark was here, he would tell you that the secret for him, from this point on in his life, is to live in grace each day. To not just receive it, but to live in it. Do you see yourself as a sinner in need of grace still? If so, you're on your way. Do you recognize the power and tendencies of your flesh and are you dying to them if so you're on your way and you have a daily attitude of absolute submission to jesus christ faith that is more about the inner props than the outer ones if you do then you're on your way and you're living in grace let's pray father i thank you that though these are difficult concepts to explain that we have your word and that your word which is revelation and absolute truth to us helps us to understand you and ourselves in this world rightly. And Father, we've unpacked a lot here today when it comes to this idea of your grace, the idea of the flesh and the spirit and of faith and submission, and even our continued sinfulness. But I pray, God, that as we put all of this together, that I pray for each individual here, that in whatever circumstance they might be dealing with in their lives right now, this would make sense to them, that this pathway would be even more clear to them, and that they might have the courage and the stamina to live in grace. God, you got us each at different places in our spiritual life, and I thank you for the diversity of the church. I pray, God, that at the very least, that you would continue to hound us by your Spirit, that we might walk with you in ways that are meaningful and in ways that truly help us to become more like Christ. And I pray this in his holy and his precious name. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.